Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Doctor. And with Charles W. Chuck Bryant is Molly Edmonds of Stuff Mom Never Told You Fame, one of our sister podcasts. And Molly has also been doing more research into healthcare reform than me, Chuck, and Rahm Emanuel combined. So uh, we're glad to have you here, Molly. Sorry, I, I think I could take Rahm down. Oh, but you could. He's it, a bulldog. Yeah, but... I'm pretty feisty. I've seen you, though. Have you seen yeah. her leg wrestle? No, but... It's I've, startling. I've been behind the... Uh, in front of the her sights. It's sure. Not, not a pleasant day. Yeah, I have to, Chuck. It isn't. Uh, which is why we're scared of Molly, but we're glad she's here. Right, Molly? I hope so. Okay. I hope you're glad I'm here. We're also glad you're here because, uh, much like the Necronomicon podcast, we intend to use you as a shield just to get that out of the way. Let's talk about health care reform. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to also say that we are not going to be discussing any of the politics in this one. This is part two. You lie. <laughs> Except for that part. Um, we're not going to be discussing any of the politics. What we're going to do is simply present uh, the proposals that are in play right now. Sure. Uh, and then part three is going to be criticisms, pros, cons, maybe uh, other ideas for fixing the healthcare system. And then part four is what I'm excited about. Oh, yeah. Myths and truths. Yes. Yeah, we're going to be talking about just outright lies, things that are kind of on the fence, and things that actually are true but are disgusting. Um, so let's talk about Obama's proposal. Is it even Obama's proposal? You know, Obama has made this a priority in his presidency. Big but- time. Big time, but he has not come down from on high with a massive plan for us all to react to. You know who did do that? The Clintons. The Clintons did. That's right. In the nineties, Moses. <laughs> Moses. Uh, that was on the third tablet. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, the healthcare tablet was dropped. Yeah, the Clintons actually wrote legislation and right. were peddling it around Capitol Hill in the nineties, and it didn't work. That that plan didn't work. So clearly, Obama learned from his predecessors, right? Right. So Obama has laid out eight principles. This is what he did early on. I think this has gotten lost in all the hubbub, but he came out with eight principles um, and then left it to Congress, asked five committees from Congress to create plans. And then in the week we're recording this, he came out and made this mega speech that's come up with, you know, all this attention. So now the week we're recording this, Obama's come back out with a speech and made it made it look like it's a little bit more of his plan, tried to wrestle control away from, you know, the media spin. He's saying what he wants in a plan, what he doesn't want, what he's open to compromise about. Um, but let's start. He was in campaign mode. He was. He's definitely back from vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So, should we talk about his eight proposals? Let's, let's, uh, I mean, what we're talking about a thousand pages or so of legislation right now, right? Mm-hmm. That well, we know we've got, of. We've this got is, two bills. Right. On the table from four committees. Now, when he says there are four committees who've, um, come up with bills, one of the bills is a tri-committee bill. So that's where that comes from. So three okay. committees came up with one bill. Um, from the House, H.R. 3200, and then the wow. Senate has a bill. Oh, I have to point this out. I'm sorry. Molly didn't even look at her notes to rattle <laughs> off that uh, bill number. I'm just going to excuse myself. Is Let's just okay? sit here quiet. Take I, over, Molly. I, I dream about H.R. 3200. <laughs> I bet you do at this point. Um, she didn't look at her notes again. <laughs> 
And you know what I have anxiety dreams about is the upcoming Senate Finance Committee bill. So by the time people hear this, that bill might become out, might be out. It's the trifecta. It's the one everyone's waiting for because it's a bipartisan committee. Um, being the Senate Finance Committee, they have to say how they're going to pay for it, which right. the other bills were not as on the hook for. So, you know, that's the one everyone's waiting on, bated breath. Yeah, I, actually, I saw today breaking news was that uh, the chairman of that committee, uh, Democrat Max Baucus, basically said, we're pushing through with this very soon. And it doesn't matter if I have Republican support or not. We're going to push it through and we'll have it uh, up for review by the 21st of September. So, wow, that's the latest word. Yeah. Yeah. I have dreams about Max now. Do you really? Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> so, um, anyway, that's a personal note. Right. So, Obama says, here are, the, here are the eight things that he saw that he wanted in the plan, okay? He wanted to assure affordable quality health coverage for all Americans. You guys want to go in a circle? Bing. We'll all do one. Yeah, yeah. I'll go next. Uh, he wants to remove obstacles uh, to coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Uh, he wants to uh, invest in prevention and wellness. He wants to maintain coverage in the event of job loss or change. He wants to kill your grandparents. Oh, wait, sorry. No, he wants to improve quality care and patient safety. Right. Uh, and uh, let's see. He wants to guarantee choice of doctors and coverage plans, right? Yes. And safeguard families from bankruptcies related to health expenses. How many is that one? I think that's seven. He wants to, uh, the final one, he wants to shrink long-term cost increases in health care for businesses and the government. Yeah. So those are pretty... Um, Broad principles. I think, Noble goals. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would disagree with these principles just in, in theory. thought and yeah. theory. Um, but then the Congress had the hard job of making them into bills. So right. we'll let's look at part. the bills. Now we have that thousand pages of legislation as it stands right now, not including the Senate Finance Committee. I think we're up to about 1,600 pages. Wow, of without the Senate Finance yeah. Committee's bill? And you've wow. read it all, correct? Yeah. In Braille. <laughs> Which was, she taught herself Braille. I had it translated and, uh, and then read in. That's, I'm so impressed. So, uh, so let's talk about how Congress did take these eight principles and, and turn them into health care, as you were saying. Um, let's start with individuals. One of the big things is that, uh, everyone, both of the, both of the proposals that are out right now say that everyone has to have health insurance. Yeah, it's an individual mandate and, you know, it's, it's sort of borrowing an idea from car insurance. If we've all got to carry car insurance, then, you know, what's what's health insurance in addition to that? Right. So if you uh, don't have health insurance, you don't have to. Stormtroopers aren't going to come to your house and beat your kids in front of you. But the tax man will. Right. Yeah, because uh, I think the Senate bill says you pay $750 a year in, in tax penalties for not having insurance. And then the House plan is, uh, I think, up to 2.5% of your uh, adjusted income. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no more than the uh, lowest price plan, right? right? Like they're not going to charge you more than you would have to pay in sure. health insurance, right? I mean, if you if you can pay the the premium in taxes, essentially you could just pay the premium to well, them. Well, that's the way I took it. Is we're going to get some money, so you might as well hint hint go spend it on health care exactly. rather than uh, funding the IRS, right? Yeah. But now most people already have health insurance. The majority of people get it from their employers, and right. so that's pretty easy to to meet that requirement, right? But we don't want the employers to just chicken out. So employers have a mandate as well. Exactly. So now we have two mandates, employer and individual. And I, I heard actually the Senate finance is not going to have an employee, uh, an employer mandate. And that's why businesses are probably going to be a little more favorable uh, yeah, for that one. Yeah, I say, you know, that's one of the theories of that's what killed Clinton's bills. You know, it's a job killer. Right. So, um, but that, that sounds kind of political. So let's just back off and say, okay. you're an employer, you're an individual, you've got this mandate. What if you can't afford it? 
Well, there's subsidies. Yes. Well, not only subsidies. I mean, if you are going to mandate that everybody has to have health insurance, you have to make uh, exemptions for certain people. Um, but you also, we already have uh, Medicaid and Medicare, so that covers right. automatically a certain percentage of Americans. Sure. But they're also expanding Medicaid, right? I think to 150% of, above poverty yeah, level? Yeah, that is the current Senate plan would be 150% above the federal poverty level, and the House would do 133% of the federal po- poverty level. Right, and they're also planning on kind of cleaning house in uh, those two systems, right, and making them more uh, efficient and cheaper. Yes, Hopefully. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that when we start talking about how this is going to be paid for. Okay. Um, but let's talk about subsidies for individuals. Um, let's say that, oh, I don't know, I make 350% income above the federal poverty level. God, that'd be will, great. Well, I know. Dare to dream. <laughs> uh, will, uh, will I be eligible for subsidies? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think it goes from... Uh, Let's say if we're going with 150% above poverty level, uh, from that to poverty level, you're covered by Medicaid. From 150% up to, what, 400, 400. is it? Uh, you're eligible for subsidies on a sliding scale, Molly? Right. What they do is, obviously, if you make a little bit more money, if you're closer to that 400% level of the federal poverty level, you will pay a greater amount of the premium than if you were just making 150% of the federal poverty level. So. In the House Committee, for example, you get your subsidy, but you will pay, let's say you were at 350 You're going to be still paying 9 to 10% of your income toward the thing, and but then you'll also get a subsidy to cover the rest of ah, okay. gotcha. that makes sense. the premium. It's kind of like when I go to my shrink and I say, dude, I make $20,000 a year, and he doesn't charge me as much as the, the physician who comes yeah. in after me. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Chuck, that there's a lot of... Um, a lot of key points in these proposals are already in effect in some ways, either um, de facto, like your your shrink charging right. you on a sliding scale, or you know um, mandates about everyone having to have insurance, like that the Massachusetts experiment, right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of taking a lot of maybe good ideas and putting them together. Good ideas being a, a very political way to put it, right? right. What, what's the Massachusetts experiment? Uh, where everyone has to have insurance. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably a good thing for you guys to discuss in the next podcast because, I mean, is Massachusetts a success in terms of its health insurance? You mean we? Oh, yeah, you'll be there. (laughs) So um, where is everybody going to get this insurance? There's an insurance marketplace that's being set up, right? Yeah, this is sort of the new big thing. Um, So the insurance marketplace is sort of this um, attempt to have the general public get their insurance the same way that Congress people do. Right. Because essentially when you become elected to Congress, you are presented with five plans or not not five, that's not I mean it's not a specific number, but basically okay. you're offered all these plans that tell you exactly how much it's going to cost and what benefits are provided. And it's very easy to use. Yeah, I think plain language is one of the provisions in at least the House bill. Transparency, plain language. Yeah, like you have to say, this is what's covered, and this is what's not covered, and this is what you get for what you pay for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, plain language is a really big part of this. Right. So if you're trying to fulfill your individual mandate, you will look at all these plans and say, well, I want this one because I know it costs this much, and I know that this, this, and this inco- is covered. Right. And in both of these bills, every plan that's in that marketplace will will have a certain set of minimum benefits, that right, it will things cover. that have to be covered, correct? Things that have to be in there. And then there will be plans that are better than that in terms of maybe you want, you know, spa days covered or something like that. You can pay to get yes. that extra. 
But let's say you just want to be able to go get, you know, a mammogram under your health insurance plan. That's probably closer to what's going to be considered an essential benefit that has to be in the plan. Right. And it gets, we'll get into this obviously later too, but that's getting a little political as well with what can be covered and what's not, right? Right. But let's just for the time being call them minimum benefits. Okay. Because what we're, what these proposals give the government license to do is to define what these minimum standards of health insurance are. And eventually, all health insurance plans, if you already have an existing one, it, it will probably have about five years to meet these requirements as well. Right, but it won't change at first, right? No. no they have the, about a five-year window They'll be to meet grandfathered it. in for several years, right? Mm-hmm. And you said in, in your article how health care reform works, that um, these basic requirements will keep the, the marketplace from becoming like a dumping ground for shoddy right. Uh, policies, right? Right. You know, we don't want anyone in the marketplace who already maybe doesn't have a job or can't afford regular insurance to just be stuck with sort of, um, you know. Crappy coverage? Yeah. That's one way to I put mean, it. Yeah. Uh, the whole point of this plan, whether you have insurance or you don't have insurance, in Obama's point of view, is to strengthen health insurance for everyone. Right. So, um, obviously, if you don't have a plan already, you're going to want sort of that basic care, but you also want to make sure that the people who already have insurance are being protected in the same way. Right, right, right. Do you know what insurance everyone should have? What? Motion picture health and welfare. Is it good? Dude, it's like, it's better than the Army. Do you get spa days? You get massage, spa days, you get like mani-pedis paid for. You know, I have to confess, this is the first I've ever heard of spa days. I think there's a sushi clause. You know, in in Germany... Spa days are included. Really? Yeah. Oh, Universal health care. That's wonderful. Um, uh, small businesses, uh, you were saying that, that businesses are going to have a mandate to provide health insurance. Uh, they're also going to be allowed to um, go to this insurance marketplace to select as well. Right. right? Employers are going to be uh, subject to a pay or play requirement where if you don't provide health insurance for your employees, you're going to have to pay into a fund for all your employees who don't have health insurance. Now, this would probably be a job killer if it were to be applied to small businesses. So small businesses will be exempt from this requirement. Right. I think Obama said like 95% of small businesses in the U.S. will be exempt in right. his recent speech. Right. So, um, and, and the Senate and the House define small businesses differently in their current plan. They might look at how many employees you have. They might look at your, um, you know, income per year. I think if you make more than $250,000 a year, you wouldn't be considered a small business under this exemption. Right. Um, but, you know, that's that's probably going to be one of the things that's ironed out and reexamined pretty closely in the reconciliation of these two bills. But um, they would also be eligible to enter this marketplace and provide insurance to their employees with the help of subsidies. Oh, okay. And like people, uh, those employers that decide, I'm not doing this, they are going to have to pay and that money will be contributed to the insurance marketplace, right? Right. So either way, it's provide, like you said, pay or play. Yeah. Um, so in this marketplace, let's all pretend that we're in there right now. Okay, close your eyes. Close your eyes. <laughs> this is nice. Do you see all these little logos? Like there's Etna's logo. There's yeah. Snoopy. Say hi to Snoopy. Hi, Snoopy. Right? Um, do you see this one? What is that? Like a screaming eagle with a bandaged head? What That's is that? That's the U.S. of A. That is new. Or it would be if this uh, thing gets passed. That's the public option, right? Yes, the public option has been one of the uh, more controversial parts of, uh, of all these bills, correct? Yes. Okay, so it's controversial. What's, what's, what does it entail? What's going on here? So the point of having this marketplace uh, is one way that Obama thinks we can keep our insurance companies honest and competitive. Right. Because if you're competing against people, then you will provide good service for good value. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, Obama thinks that one way to ensure that this happens is to also introduce this public health insurance option um, so that it's a government-run option that will have lower rates, probably. Uh-huh. Um, now, obviously, right there, you're going to have some contention about what the rates should be because sure. can a private insurer compete with um, you know, a public insurer? Will it have sort of the government um, stamp of approval that might make it uh, impervious to any sort of attack or disaster? Right. Um, but the thinking is, is that, you know, similar to the way we provide Medicare and Medicaid for certain people, that we would have this option for people to, um, get health insurance at a pretty, pretty affordable cost set by the government. Right. But we don't know what cost that would be yet. So you really can't get into an argument about whether insurers could compete. Are the financials not really set on this yet? No. And, you know, if you've been following the news, this is probably the thing you see that, oh, it's been dropped. Oh, it hasn't been dropped. We might have a co-op instead. Right. Um, it's really something to watch. That was something that in the speech Obama said he was willing to negotiate on. So right, right. It's, it's still to come. He has said so far, though, that it wouldn't be just another Medicare. We wouldn't just have Medicare rates, which are about 30 percent lower than most insurance rates, because that isn't fair to private insurers. It would have to be um, similar to private insurance, likely, and it would also um, have to fund itself through premiums. Right. It would be self-sustaining. Yeah, because That's I mean, if you've got federal uh, or injections of federal cash, you're not really competing with anything, right? Yeah, and I think Obama said that he wouldn't back anything that added to the deficit. Is that correct? Yes. Right. So uh, that's the public option. Everybody back away slowly. Well, you know, one thing that might be interesting to talk about is we always hear Obama saying that if you like your health insurance, you can keep it, right? Right. If you like your health insurance, you can keep it. The thing is, that was awful. Do it as Clinton saying it. (laughs) No. Come on, do it. If you like your health insurance, you can keep it. There, much better. But the thing is, let's think about the people who don't like their health insurance and might be thinking, oh, man, a public option sounds pretty good. That's an excellent point because you never hear that mentioned. Um, you know, you can't really opt out of your employer-based health insurance because you don't like it and just get into a cheaper public option. You can't? No. Why not? Because... Because you have the option through work, so you're immediately discounted? Because, yes. But if you, Right now, the insurance marketplace will only be open to those people who don't have insurance at through their first. employer. At gotcha. first, right. but I mean, I don't, if, if, if we were still five years away from a marketplace, I think we'd be at least five years after that away from allowing everyone in. So right now you have to stick with your employer-based health insurance unless your employer drops you. Now, that's something that people are saying, you know, if there's some cheap plan and employers figure it's cheaper just to pay the fee than to cover their employees, right. that could happen. But um, the thinking is, is that if, if everyone has to know sort of what their insurance costs versus what it costs in the marketplace, then that competitive spirit might keep insurance fair and honest. This can get really tricky. So, well, let's talk about let's talk some more about how insurance companies are, are going to be affected. Just in, in addition to this possible competition from a public option, there are some mandates in this legislation. Uh, for example, that says you can't discriminate. Uh, based on pre-existing conditions any longer. Right. Obama likes to use the um, the example of that woman who's denied that, what was it? She was going to have a double mas- mastectomy, and then uh, they found out she didn't declare a case of acne from her childhood. So, and thus they postponed the treatment and her breast cancer grew. Right, and and under under this proposal, there's no more pre-existing condition denials. Any right, longer. Or and it, and it doesn't cost you more. You can't be charged a higher premium because you have a pre-existing condition. They're going to do away with that t- completely? Yeah. So For if, people who have insurance and for people who are trying to get insurance. Like, that's going, man. Under this plan. So if you smoke 10 packs of cigarettes a day and you walk in there with an oxygen tank, they have to cover you. Yeah. For the same amount of money. 
Yeah, as far as I know. What about the country? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, there's also a mandate that um, there can no longer be uh, caps on spending by insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And actually, not only that, the the um, the it's back on the consumer. There's now a, a cap on how much a consumer can pay out of pocket uh, every year. Right. Uh, right. For their own health care, right? Because a lot of bankruptcies are driven by medical costs. I know. We're thinking that, you know, if, if there's, if you can't go broke because you're sick, then we will decrease the number of bankruptcies. And Maybe the improve damage, the overall economy. Right. The damage we might be doing to our economy that way. Interesting. Definitely. Um, there, then, so that's insurance companies. That's also, again, we're just kind of hitting the high points here. We're talking about, as Molly said, 1,600 pages of legislation as it stands Thanks. now. Um, so let's talk about um, Medicaid and Medicare. Chuck mentioned this earlier about um, kind of cutting waste in the Medicaid and Medicare system. Uh, and that actually, let's talk about how much this is going to cost. The OMB suggests it's going to be about a trillion dollars over 10 years for these proposals, for Mm -hmm. Obama's plan. Obama is saying that two-thirds of this can be paid for right off the bat just by cutting waste uh, with Medicare and Medicaid. What is he talking about? Well, there's an estimate that about 30% of the services that are performed medically in this country are unnecessary. And that's overall. That's not just Medicare Medicaid. Adding a third limb? Yeah. 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 Potentially. Or getting rid of that third limb that you wanted to keep. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, either way. It goes way. both ways, buddy. But, it just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but to get rid of those costs right away um, and to also cut out some administrative costs, all this paper shuffling that a lot of people do right. could um, could help as well. The big, the big name you always hear in, in association to this is Medicare Advantage, which is a private program within the public program, which, you know, I don't know if that makes much sense, but it's probably indicative of how our whole health insurance right. system works. Um, that's $170 billion a year that um, goes to insurance companies for the exact same service that's provided to people by the government. So they would hold that and shuffle them over to Medicare mm-hmm. standard? Mm-hmm. No but, more advantage for you? Right. Right, because it pays 14% more than right. regular Medicare for the same service. The exact same service. The people who would have just stayed with regular Medicare... We could have saved 170 billion a year. Right, but that's just that 170 billion. He's saying you can save another 600 billion just from cutting waste, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think he's also talking about uh, bundling services. That leads to bundling services, correct? Yeah, that's yeah. a big deal. It's sort of his testing ground for this because, as I said, this 30 percent waste is endemic in the system. It's not just Medicare. Mm-hmm. It's not just the government that can't run a program. It's it's everyone who can't run a program. But they've done these studies um, where they compare. Areas that spend a lot of money on Medicare to just a little bit of money on Medicare. And the people who have less spent on them live longer and are healthier. The people who have more doctor's visits, more time in the hospital, are the ones that are more likely to die from the exact same ailment that these lower spending people had over here. So what can we do to emulate those lower spending areas? Um, that's where we get this idea of bundling that Josh was talking about. Right. So if a person goes into the hospital with a heart attack, instead of, you know, this doctor seeing him, then this doctor seeing him, then this doctor seeing him, and everyone charging separately for all their tests. Fee for service. Fee for service. Then, you know, you go into the hospital as a Medicare patient, and you are in there for your heart attack. Right. And all the treatment that you get relates to your heart attack. Your doctors need to work together to figure out the best course of treatment. And so it's it's more a matter of how you kind of pay your cable bill, uh-huh. if you have your cable, your internet, and your phone all together. Sure. Um, you just Bundling. Pay- Bundling. You just pay one bill to the hospital for all that as opposed to paying for 
uh, your cardiogram and, you know, the MRI scan they decide you need right. and blah, blah, blah. That kind of makes sense. Well, but it also leads to a uh, another kind of um, radical suggestion that's found in these proposals is establishing what kind of care you should follow when mm-hmm. somebody comes into uh, a, for a heart attack. Like right, standardizing the uh, right, because how do you know how much it should cost unless you know what procedures you have to follow and how much those procedures should cost? So to do that, they're setting up a panel that reviews uh, the effectiveness of methods of treatment and says this doesn't work. This has a ninety-eight percent success rate, so we're going to go with this one, right? Well, I don't think they're going to throw out this one. I mean, they obviously they don't want treatments that don't work, right? But I think it's more, and obviously, I think we're going to talk about. About rationed healthcare in the next podcast. Sure. But this is where people start to get this idea. But let's say that there are three treatments for a heart attack. Mm-hmm. This one works. The first one works for 90% of the population. The second works for 5% of the population. And the other one also works for 5% of the population. Rather than doing all three, do you have a greater chance of starting with this one? Right. And if that doesn't work, then go to one that uh, okay. fits the 5% so it'd be of the population. So kind of prioritizing more than it'd standardizing? Be, yeah, be tearing up sort of what works. But I think Obama's been very clear that if your doctor thinks that he wants to still go with number three that has the 5% effectiveness rate, he can do that. Okay. You should be on that panel. Are you on that panel? <laughs> okay, guys. It, it, we already talked about uh, some forms of paying for this by cutting waste and, and getting rid of Medicare Plus. Advantage. Advantage. Um, what are some other uh, ideas for paying for this? Because, you know, Obama said he wasn't going to sign anything that added a cent to the deficit. And, you know, one complication with him just saying, I'm going to eliminate fraud and waste, is those aren't scorable measures according to the Congressional Budget Office. Right, right. You know, it's got to be something for them to say, yes, it provides, you know, this X $20 million. Uh-huh. It's probably something the federal government can kind of, you know, point to as opposed to this nebulous cutting cost thing. Right. Um, Obama's been pretty clear that he would like to tax people who make more than $250,000 a year, change their tax deductions. And that, I believe, is what the House plan calls for. Um, there's also the idea that we would tax the employer plans that are currently, uh, untaxed, the employer tax, um, exemption. Oh, change, get rid of that altogether? Yeah, they wouldn't be exempt anymore. And there's the thinking, you know, this was something McCain brought up in the presidential campaign that Obama poo-pooed, which is why it may not come back right away. Um, you know, there's the idea people shouldn't have to tax what is essentially free for them now. Right. But, I mean... On the one hand, it would be kind of an invisible tax because, as we say, you already don't know how much your health insurance costs. Right. Um, but also, if it's if it's not just this free perk that employers can hand out, they might be more likely to increase your wages. Is one thought. I mean, right now, a lot of employers can say, "This is your salary, but look at this great health care plan you don't have to pay for." Right. Whereas, when that becomes an actual cost to a person, then you would weigh that a little bit. In more in relation to the money in your pocket. Sure. So we can all look forward to raises? Is that what you're it's saying? It's possible. I mean, that's just one thought behind behind this idea. But other people are like, no, that's a tax. I don't want it. Right. So then another proposal is to flip that tax and tax the insurance companies that offer the plans because they're obviously putting a pretty penny in their pocket for these tax-accept plans. And then, you know, that still kind of rubs some people the wrong way. So the proposal's been floated just to tax um, the mega plans, the ones that do the have Cadillac spa days. Plans, right? Yeah, Cadillac. There's a CEO of Goldman Sachs. He has a plan that's $40,000 a year. You're kidding. And, yeah, you always hear him brought up as like, you know, does he really need this tax-free $40,000 health insurance plan? Well, Goldman Sachs takes a beating in here. <laughs> we mention them all the time. Kashkari. They 
bear the brunt. Yeah. So there's the thought that maybe we would tax either people who have those kind of plans or the insurance companies that offer those kinds of plans. Um, but, you know, there's this Time Magazine article that found that actually a lot of state employees have really good plans, too. But I saw that. I think that what people are trying to get at is that there's money in these employer tax exemptions that we're going to have to look at. It's, it is a possible source of funding. Wow. So that's the high points. Uh, there's some other ones like, oh, I don't know, um, Medicaid paying for uh, family planning services. Getting rid of the donut hole, which we uh, sure. cover. It's big, though. The provision uh, where any child born in the United States is uh, automatically covered if they don't have insurance. Stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to cover any of the um, raucousness surrounding those in this one. As a matter of fact, I think we've reached the end of this one, guys. I think so. Um, Molly, thank you very much for coming in. My pleasure. We'll see you in the next one. And you'll want to tune in for part three, especially if you wake up in the middle of the night with your teeth clenched shouting, you lie, you lie. Uh, that's going to be about myths, truths, and lies concerning health care reform and Obama's proposal. And uh, there'll be criticism from the right and the left on the on the plan in that one. Right, Chuck? What about the center? The, the center is just the kind of center. staying mute. And gooey? Yeah. Okay. So stay tuned for that. That's part three in our special four-part healthcare suite series brought to you by HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you